0: Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. I am Molly Nelson hosting this podcast. I am sitting next to Rochelle Smith. She produces this podcast and across from us, Lauren Merkel, a certified financial planner, a certified financial fiduciary and a retirement income certified professional. Okay, so we're talking about social security today. There's some good news when it comes to Social Security, and there's some bad news. When someone says that to you guys, say, hey, do you want the good news first or the bad news? What do you say, Rochelle? Oh, I always pick the bad news first. Bad news?
1: Always the bad news. Bad
0: news that end with the good news. Is that kind of the thought?
1: Yeah, that way we know how bad it's really going to get. It can only get better from there
0: I like it I like I like that so when it comes to social security should we start with the bad news or the good news I say
1: bad news first however let's put a little context around Social security and go way back in time talk about some social security history Oh
0: I think we should get our notepads oh. out and our laptops and let professor Professor Merkel. <laughs> Teach us.
1: Take some notes. Here we go. So, 1935 is when the first Social Security legislation was introduced. 1937 is when the first lump sum check was sent out. So, this is not the first annuity payment, one time lump sum check. How much was that check? 1937.
0: Can't be much. Buck or two, four dollars?
1: Seventeen cents.
0: Seventeen oh. cents. And 17 it was a widow, cents. correct? A, a, a female or That's correct. Yeah, a female widow That's correct. received the check. There
1: was not direct deposit in nineteen thirty seven.
0: <laughs> I believe that. Oh. So this
1: actually went through the mail and the mail the, the cost of a first class stamp in nineteen thirty seven was three cents. Oh my. So a three cents stamp, seventeen cent check.
0: So Ida Mae wow. Fuller got the seventeen cents and nope
1: Ida Mae Fuller. Started in 1940, so oh. Ida May Fuller was the first one to receive the ongoing annuity payment. Okay, and that annuity payment, well, we'll just keep guessing how much was that?
0: <laughs> it was $22. <laughs> <laughs> because I saw Ida May Fuller's name up and I knew we were you getting guys there. Are You're
1: supposed to be taking notes, oh. and,
0: $22.54. <laughs> we never did that in college.
1: Uh, that actually ended up being a good investment. You can probably see that there, Rochelle. How long did she receive that $22? Oh,
0: I don't know. That's it was
1: years. She actually lived. I can't remember exactly, but it was. I think it was in her early 90s. So she just collected this check and check for... Many, many years.
0: And that was monthly. She received $20. <clears throat> that, that was monthly.
1: So it yeah, was that good. was a lot of money it turned back out, then. It turned out to be a great investment for her because she didn't pay into it all that long because it just started in 1935 is when that first legislation was was introduced. So in 1940, when Ida Mae Fuller started to re- receive that first check, the average life expectancy was early 60s. Now, they weren't eligible to receive their Social Security until age 65,
0: So most people didn't even get a check, didn't even live long enough to get one.
1: The life expectancy, it was not set up to pay for 20 to 30 years like what happened with Ida Mae Fuller, and most people didn't receive that income for that long. With Social Security today, you can start receiving Social Security as early as age 62, or if you're a survivor, you can start receiving it as early as age 60. And life expectancy today, if you obtain age 65, is somewhere in the middle 80s. So women are anticipated to live till age 86-ish and men age 83. So it's, it's had to change since 1940. It's changed many times. The last substantial change was 2010 when they eliminated the file and suspend and the file and restrict benefits. Which were a huge benefit, and we incorporated those strategies within our plans quite a bit, but we had to pivot. We had to pivot after 2010 when it didn't allow most people to do that. So there's been a lot of change since 1940. There's going to be continued change as we go, and every year we see a report. Every year we see a report that says Social Security could go broke or reduce the payment substantially in the future. So this is the conversation that a lot of families are having right now. Is Social Security going to be there for them? Is Social Security going to be there in the same way as what it has been promised? And that's the question.
0: And that's the bad news. So the latest projections are that Social Security will start uh, not being able to pay the full benefit by 2034, which is a year earlier than previously projected. So uh, part of this is the COVID pandemic obviously unemployment rates go up, fewer people are paying into the system, the system runs out of money sooner. So what that looks like in the long term is if Congress does nothing, if lawmakers do nothing, by 2034, we're looking at about a 25% reduction in payouts.
1: Yes, and now the question is and what people are worried about is that really going to come to fruition. And my opinion is that is not going to happen for current recipients. It's not going to happen for people who are relatively close to filing or being eligible to file for social security. Now nobody knows for sure, and it certainly could. I just don't think it's a realistic idea to say you've been promised to receive your benefits for the last 40 years. You've been paying into this system for those projected benefits for the last 40 years, but all of a sudden you're in retirement, you're dependent upon this income, and they're going to say, nope, whoops, we're going to cut it by, by 25%. The Social Security Trust Fund has been in trouble before. It's, been in, it's actually been belly up before, meaning that the, it has been exhausted. And what they did is they took a loan from other trust funds, shored up the, the Social Security Trust Fund, and then paid back that loan over the next five to seven years. And everything worked out really well. There's so many legislative changes that they can make and they're talking about making that can shore this up for current recipients and those who are on the doorsteps of retiring who will be eligible to take Social Security. And I don't think it's going to be a big issue for that group. It will be an issue for our generation. It will be an issue for our kids' generation. And there's going to have to be substantial changes for us and for them. But we have a lot more time to plan for it. If you're sixty years old and you're planning on retiring in two years, you don't have a lot of time to plan for it. If you're seventy years old, you retired at sixty five, you're already on social security, you you can't plan for that. And I think uh, that's why it's probably not going to be a realistic thought or a realistic thing for them to change it for current recipients.
0: Yeah, and Part of it, too, is baby boomers. I mean, the number of retirees is expected to double in the next 50 years. Obviously, at the end of those 50 years, we're not dealing with baby boomers anymore, but we're going to have a very large portion of our population that won't be working, fewer people paying into the system. Also, people are living longer and birth rates are declining. So if you're looking at all of those things, it's not just COVID. That's That's not the only problem. There's a lot of problems when it comes to the system.
1: Yeah, there's 10,000 people that are retiring every single day, and that's anticipated to maintain that pace for the next 10 to 15 years. So there's a a ton of people who are going on the system or will be going on the system for the next decade or so. If we go back in time, again, let's go back to 1945. Again, the first annuity check was paid out in 1940. So just five years later, the ratio of people paying into the system versus collecting was 41 to 1. So 41 people paying in one person for every one person collecting and if we fast forward to today it's just over 2 people paying in for every one that's collecting. So a significant drop in that ratio, Uh, and by the way, it's been pretty close to that since 1970. 1970 is about three to one, three people paying in for every one person that's collecting. So there's going to be, obviously that ratio is not sustainable, and that's why there has been a lot of problems with the trust fund really starting probably in the 80s. Um, But I'm confident because of the levers that they can pull to Put money into that trust fund that they're going to make it there. They're going to make social security survive for those who really need it at this point.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the levers they can pull. One of them is having you pay more into the system so that, so in order to, um, I think they look at this in like 75 year projections. And so something I was reading that was in order to kind of fix this shortfall, one thing they could do is raise the payroll tax by 3.36%. That would mean 1.7 for the employer and 1.7 for the employee. So guess what? Basically, easy way to say that, raise your taxes.
1: Raise your taxes. Isn't that always the answer? <laughs> Is everyone if we, sharing if out we there? we need more money, let's just raise the taxes. Raise so yeah, your that, taxes. and that probably will happen. The payroll tax has increased. That's one of the, the levers they have used in the past. Uh, I think it's a relatively easy lever, especially, uh, especially, if we're thinking about reducing benefits by 25%, most people are going to say, hey, let's not do that. Let's increase the payroll tax.
0: They could also revise the formula. Um, they could change what the, the age of full retirement or the retirement age, or the age at which you could start collecting. All those terms kind of get uh, crisscrossed up in, in my head anyways. And then they could also revise the formula for what the reduction in benefits if you elect earlier versus later.
1: Yeah, there's a number of different ways they can adjust the formula. They have been increasing the full retirement age. It used to be age 65 and then they moved it to 66 and then and then they moved it to somewhere between 66 and 67. So now the oldest full retirement age is age 67, but there's been a lot of talk about increasing that to age 70. Which And
0: then sorry, I'm going to re- I'm going to interrupt because remind me, I can start collecting at 62, full retirement age is 67, but I have to elect by 70. What's the difference between that 62 and that 67?
1: Your full retirement age is dependent upon your your birth date, your birth year. Uh, so everybody in this room, their full our full retirement age is age 67. So just as you said, we can start collecting at 62, we get our full benefit. At age 67. If we elect at 62, then we take a reduction in that benefit that we receive.
0: I thought you got the most if you waited till 70.
1: You do. So that's called a delayed return credit. So our full retirement age is 67. We get our full amount if we elect at 67. If we wait till 68, we get an 8% increase on that full a benefit amount. If we wait till 69, now that's another 8%. So 16% cumulative increase. If we wait till 70, now we get another 8%, which is a 24% cumulative increase on our guaranteed lifetime income. So there is an incentive. There's a financial incentive and it's, it is baked into the cake. So it's guaranteed. So one of the, one of the strategies for many people right now, and what a lot of pundits are saying is delay, Delay receipt of your benefit the longest you possibly can because banks are paying us nothing. So if, we, if we're if we looking at guaranteed alternatives, we put our money at the bank. They give us a half a percent. They give us 1%. Where here's the Social Security Administration out there saying, hey, if we don't collect, that's an 8% guaranteed increase on lifetime income every year we wait up until age 70. So there is an appeal to that, and a lot of people are considering it. Now, that, doesn't make, that does not mean that that's great a great idea for everybody and everybody needs to look at their indiv- individual circumstances and identify, does that make sense? But it's certainly out there. It's a carrot that they're dangling to have pe- encourage people to delay.
0: Yeah, because if I hear this latest projection about the system going broke and I'm 61, I might be like, elect when you can, get it while it's still there. But really, you kind of have to run projections like you're talking about, which I know that's what you guys do with clients because electing early... Yes, you can start the benefit, but delaying could actually be a net gain even if there is a twenty-five percent reduction.
1: Yeah, that's that's one way to look at it. I mean, essentially I think what you're saying, Molly, is that there's a gonna if there's a twenty-five percent reduction in your benefits, you can negate that or even have a net positive. So let's say your full retirement age is sixty six. If you wait until sixty-seven to collect it, that's an eight percent increase. But if you wait all the way up until age 70, that's 32% cumulative increase on your benefits. So even if they decrease it by 25% down the road, you have a net positive to what your benefit could be. So that is a strategy that you can look at. Do we delay all the way up to 70 to have that 32% increase or 24 if your full retirement age is 67? And that could help insulate yourself from the risk of them decreasing the benefits by 25% down the road. Is that what you're talking about?
0: I think that's what I read, yeah. Okay. And, and this, like a lot of retirement decisions is going to be specific to you and your needs and, and your other sources of income and whether delaying or electing, you know, right at 62 makes sense. So here's a really great opportunity to speak directly with a retirement planner about your specific situation. It's a 15 minute complimentary retirement checkup call. You can schedule yours right now by going to merkleplan.com com. That's M E R K L E plan.com. There's a calendar there. You click, you get right on the calendar of our retirement planners. And you can have 15 minutes to talk about your specific situation. And now, guys, it's time for the part you both like to hear second, the good news. The good news is Social Security is getting a raise, the biggest raise in 40 years, Lauren.
1: That's incredible. We've waited for this type of increase for a very long time. Uh, obviously 40 years, right? We haven't seen this type of increase and it's not out yet, but it's projected to be somewhere around 6% increase on your benefits. Uh, That's going to make a big difference in monthly income for many people. There's many people out there where social security represents 25 to 35% of their retirement income. And then there's also a contingent of people that represents 100% of their retirement income. So it's, it's a meaningful increase. A lot of people are going to be cheering. Most people don't know about that increase yet uh, because they don't really talk about it a lot until it becomes official, but 6% ish increase on monthly income can make a big deal for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, so some sixty eight million people will are expected to get about a six percent increase. The average social security check is fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen hundred and fifty dollars, excuse me, should go up to about sixteen hundred and fifty dollars in twenty
1: twenty two. Yeah, so since two thousand and ten it's been a one point four increase. If we look all the way back to when Cola started the cost of living adjustment was embedded within the social security equation. It's only averaged a little bit over 2% over that, that time frame. It's a pretty meaningful increase for social security recipients. Now, not to go back to the bad news. I thought we were kind of past that, but sometimes it creeps you know, back sometimes in. Sometimes it comes back in. The bad news is, is that if you're on Medicare, which most social security recipients are, there is an increase in your Medicare premiums. They have not announced that yet either, But whatever that increase is, it's going to take away from that increase of Social Security. It's not going to be dollar for dollar for most people, but it will, instead of the $100 a month increase in the example you gave, Molly, the net increase could be maybe $50 a month maybe $40 a month. So it's great news because there's going to be an increase, but we'll see what happens with the Medicare increase. And that's going to take, take out of the social security increase.
0: Yeah. And let's briefly talk about why, why do lawmakers, why is the 6% increase coming? And basically it's inflation. So they look at what the consumer price index, they take a couple of months and they go year to year and the cost of goods and services, we've seen it, gasoline, groceries, they've gone up. And so that's what dictates this Cola
1: that's exactly what dictates it uh, if you look if you turn on the news uh, every single day you're hearing about lawmakers you're hearing about pundits talking about this inflation the cost of our goods and services increasing they're talking about where it's probably going to go over the next 12 months and so that has a real impact on this Cola number and so even though our uh, the food at the grocery store costs more the gas station uh, the gas at the gas station costs more all of these things cost more it is nice to get a a big increase, like the 6% increase we're looking at.
0: And that's kind of the irony of this. Yes. If you're on social security right now, you're getting a raise. If you're thinking about retiring and you're seeing this again, reason to be at least hopeful, you're going to get 6% more, but it doesn't mean you're going to retire any earlier. Does it Lauren?
1: No, it, it most certainly doesn't. In fact, that's one of the, uh, misconstrued parts of retirement planning is a lot of people think that taking Social Security and retiring is synonymous, where it's completely independent. It should be independent decisions, meaning you can retire at 62 and not take Social Security and use Social Security, the growth that you receive in your Social Security benefit later down the road, or you can take Social Security at full retirement age and still continue to work. So those are independent, should be independent decisions. And how we go about determining what you should do from a Social Security standpoint because uh, you, you, ha- you have up to 81 options. If you're a married couple, you have up to 81 different options. All this stuff that we're talking about here seems really complex and confusing and it really is. But when we boil it down and we make it very simple and we say, of the 81 options that you may have, here's a handful that may mo- make the most sense for you in your situation, when you want to retire, what what you want your lifestyle to look like, what other retirement resources do you have? Here's a handful that may make the most sense. And then we put it into your plan. So if one of those handful of options is for you to take your benefit at 62 and your spouse to wait until full retirement age, we put that in your plan. And then we look down the road because whatever social security decision you're looking at making, It's easy to understand the short-term impact. If you're going to receive $1,500 a month, you know that's an extra $1,500 a month coming from Social Security. What is harder to discern is what is the longer-term impact. So by putting these decisions in your plan, we can extrapolate out 20, 30, 40 years to say what is the long-term impact of the short-term decision. So we look at that decision long-term, and then we just change that Social Security decision. So instead of your spouse taking it at 62, let's say your spouse takes it at 65. And instead of you taking it at full retirement age, you will wait until age 70, the maximum age. Put that into your plan, changing nothing else, and then we can see what kind of long-term impact that has. And we just go through that type of system, that type of analysis, and going through that, you can see the short-term and the long-term impact of your social security decisions. And it makes those social security decisions extremely easy. Not only does it make it easy, but it gives you a lot more confidence. It gives you confidence in these permanent decisions you are making. So you're making that decision, understanding why you're making that decision and what value that decision is bringing to you short and long-term.
0: So Lauren, to get this question a lot in meetings, is social security going away? Is it going broke? Will it become solvent?
1: This is really one of the legacy social security questions because as long as I have been talking about social security now for the last 20 years or so, this has been the question on everybody's mind. And I remember conversations that I had uh, when I was really young with my parents as they were thinking about retiring one day, and I remember my dad saying that. We're planning as if social security is not going to be around. So this has been a thought for decades and decades, but yet it's, it's still here. And for people like my parents who are now retired, they're on Social Security. They're taking it, and it is a tremendous benefit to, to them and millions of other Americans who are receiving Social Security. Social Security is embedded within the thread of American society at this point. Will it go away at some point down the road? Maybe, uh, but it's not, going to go, it's not going to go away anytime soon, and I do not believe for people who are close to Social Security or already receiving it, it is going to be reduced in a meaningful way, and if you think about why that is, I mean, this is illeg- legislators who have the power to change that. And again, they have all these different levers that they can use to increase the solvency of Social Security. Uh, If we look at the contingent of American populace who votes the most, it's going to be the people receiving Social Security or close to. And if these legislators are thinking about reducing their benefits by 25%, when everybody knows there's other levers they can pull to shore it up and, and not have that, these legislators are probably going to get voted out. Right. these social security recipients, the people who need it the people who have been promised this for forty years and have paid into it for forty years are not going to receive that well so I think it's in uh, I think the way the legislators look at it it's in their best interest to make sure that they continue to uh, pay out the benefits to the recipients as promised and again there's so many other changes that they can make to make sure that that does happen. so if you are looking to make a social security decision soon um, I would Rather, have you do the analytics, kind of like what we talked about, put your plan together, identify what is going to be the best decisions for you based on all the other factors outside of Social Security is going broke, because it's probably not for you, uh, and you will probably receive your benefits as, as promised. So now it's a matter of making the best decisions for you based on all the factors outside the fact that Social Security is going broke.
0: And a great opportunity, a great chance to do a little bit of that analytic work is to talk directly with a retirement planner. Again, a 15-minute complimentary retirement checkup call. You can schedule one today at merkleplan.com, M-E-R-K-L-E plan.com. Social security, of course, just one aspect of retirement. We continue talking about all of the pieces of the retirement puzzle on this podcast. It's retiring today, and we thank you for listening.
1: So 1935 is where the first Social Security legislation was introduced. 1937 is when the first lump sum check was paid out to the first recipient of Social Security. Any guesses on the amount of that check? This is 1937.
0: I feel like i should know this lump sum i've heard it before not much it's not much this it was mabel crazy. something or marjorie or it was a, a woman a widow
1: uh you're I talking believe. about ida grove ah, so that's 1940 is when ida grove gets introduced Wait, ida to grove the is a town
0: in iowa perfect are you sure that's the she's name of the famous. recipient B- she's richelle oh you can go ida google, google it is also it. <laughs> google it. a small town in iowa that has like this whole castle theme thing you're I mean,
1: right it's ida may fuller <laughs>
0: he was going to stick with it too. He's like, no, it's Ida Grove. I'm like, no, it's not. How many times? I need to start keeping track of this. <laughs>